Well, again, good morning and welcome to the fourth string quarterback at the First Baptist Church of Oceanway. Everybody else is on. A, I'm just kidding. Um, I do want to say that I, I, the first service, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people here, I think back in high school, you had senior skip day and you take the day off and leave. I thought maybe we'd have a senior pastor skip day when he's out of town, but everybody is, has come and shut up, so that's good. I appreciate it. It's good to see people come and want to hear the word of God. Um, like I said, most of you know me. Uh, I'm Robert Peck, for those that don't, a few that might not, the treasurer here at the church, and the brother-in-law, the pastor, and son-in-law, the organist, and it, it just goes on and on. You might think this, you know, there's a lot of us that... Uh, that go here part of the family, but I love that my family's all here and, and we get to worship and serve together. But I wanted to start on a, a personal note in that most of you know over the last, it's been almost a year, it was 10 months of preparing and taking the test. I took the sergeant's test, a promotional exam at the sheriff's office. On October 2nd, we took a remake because there was a mistake, added four months to the process. We got our grades back and I'm number 25, which is a good thing. That means I will get promoted. Um, it will, it'll just be this time next year. It's kind of a slow moving list. So I say all that to say, thank you for the prayers. I can't tell you how many people came up and said, I'm praying for you. We've been praying for you. And how many people have come up and said, what happened? And not ever, I haven't seen everybody. So I just wanted to take this time to let you guys know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And God has seen fit for me to get promoted. I don't know what that means for the 10 guys that'll be under me. That could be a good or a bad thing, but we'll see what happens when that time gets here. So Micah has asked me to speak since he would be in India, and um, he gave me the option of picking a topic that I wanted to speak on or continuing in the series that he started, Behold the Attributes of God. And so uh, I thought it would be appropriate to stick with the, the flow of the series, and so I uh, chose the goodness of God. Micah gave me some options, and so last week he, he spoke about holiness and this week I'll be speaking about the goodness of God. And in hearing him yet last week, the one thing that, that stood out, not the one thing, but one thing that did stand out, and it applied this, the whole time I was preparing for this, is we're trying to describe an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God with the English vocabulary. It is not possible, I've determined. And if anybody walks out of here today completely understanding the holiness of God and the goodness of God, come see me because you've got it. It's, it's not, we're so small and God is so big. And, and I looked up a couple of things just to, to kind of try and describe the task of describing any attribute of God, quite frankly, much less um, the goodness of God. And as uh, most people do nowadays, I googled how many words in the English language. And as with most answers nowadays, it was, it depends. There's not a single number. It depends which ones you count as words. Some words are words, some words aren't. Do you count this, that? And I'm not an English guy, I'm a math guy, and unfortunately I don't understand much what it was talking about. But it said a good number that we can rest on is about 250,000 words in the English language, using the 26 letters in the alphabet that we have. And so while that sounds like a lot of words when you're trying to describe God, it, it might as well be one word, duh, because that, that's all that, you know, I had when I started. And so I thought of a kind of a, a way to picture in my head the vastness of what it was I was trying to, to accomplish. And 
you know, Micah has a little above ground pool in his yard. And I, I don't know, maybe three, 4,000 gallons of water. I, I don't know how much is in it exactly. And I thought about taking that pool and trying to use what I know about that pool to estimate the amount of water in the oceans, in the lakes, and all the water that's on the earth. You just have such a small reference point and such a huge goal to try and achieve. It's very, very tough. But we're going we're gonna to muddle through it again. I am not going to stand up here and claim that I know what the goodness of God is all the way. I'm going to try and direct us into uh, how I feel the Lord would lead us. And then it's going to be incumbent upon each one of us to go study this and apply it to our lives and, and move on with it. So I'm going to start with a little story. And it's going to sound like the movie Castaway when it starts. I promise you that's not what it is. It's just very similar. So when I start talking, if you have the image of the volleyball with a handprint like I did, I understand. But this is not, you know, a Tom Hanks reference or anything to do with the movie, just kind of similar. So I was listening to the radio the other day, and they, they told a story. And there's a guy that's out in the ocean. You put how you want him out there. Was he on a boat? Was he in a plane? I don't know, parachuting, whatever it was. The ship, plane, whatever, crashes. He's the only survivor. And as you probably was on Castaway, he crawls himself up on the shore, and he gets to this deserted island. Why they always crash at the deserted island, I don't know. I guess it's just makes it for a good movie. If there was lots of people there, it wouldn't be a good movie. But anyways, so this guy crawls up and he's the only inhabitant. And so he spends time gathering food, necessities, things he needs, and he builds himself a hut. And, you know, understand this isn't brick and mortar. It's a stick hut, probably with palm fronds as a roof, things like that. And every day he starts praying, God, please rescue me from this island. Not a bad prayer. You know, if we were all stuck on a deserted island, we'd want off. So he prayed and prayed and time went on. And then one night he came back from foraging and his little hut was on fire. Everything he had was burning to the ground. And so, as I probably would have reacted, he got mad. You know, God, all I've done is prayed, been faithful to pray that you would rescue me. And what happens? You burn down the only thing that I have. So he, he goes through this and he finally goes to sleep. And he wakes up the next morning to the sound of the horn from a cruise ship that is offshore sitting in a rescue boat. And he gets picked up and taken back to the ship and... He winds up seeing the captain. The captain says, you know, the only reason we came over here was because we saw the smoke from the fire. So let that uh, marinate for a little while. We're going to get back to that, but I just want to start with that story. Again, uh, no jokes. I didn't try and lead you the wrong way. We're going to be in Psalm 100. I'm going to read it again. It's going to be from the ESV, a little different version. But if you're, if you're there, I forgot to tell you to go ahead and open, but I did warn you up front we're going to be at Psalm 100, so... Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. And this is verse 5 is where we're at. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So today we're going to be looking at the goodness of God as one of his attributes. Um, so if we can go to the second slide. I'm going to open with a little definition of good. Again, I, I'm no rocket scientist. I, I don't have a big vocabulary. I googled it and this is what came up. It, 
didn't come to any certain thing. This was just a Google definition. So it's a good place to start. That which is morally right or righteousness, it applies, or a benefit or advantage to someone or something. So that's kind of where we're going to start, a definition of good. So if we think the opposite of good is what? Bad. Bad. Pretty simple. So that would just swap everything. What is morally not right? What is unrighteousness? Uh, or it's a disadvantage or no benefit uh, or a punishment to somebody or something. So we're going to be looking at good and bad here to start, uh, understanding that we're looking at sort of our definition as, as people with our limited words of good and bad. So if I ask you question, uh, this question, is God good or is God bad? God is good. It's simple. makes sense. But what I want to do today is we're going to look a little deeper into what do we mean when we say God is good. So a couple of good things up there, donuts, you know, take it as a bad cop joke if you want. I'm, I'm not really a huge fan of donuts. It's other things that get to me. But so many, most people would think donuts relate it to good. Kittens, oh, so cute little kittens. Maybe that relates to good for you. Some people can't stand kittens. So one of the problems with our definition of good is it's all relative. What you may say is good, I may not think is good. Uh, a good example is that little redheaded fellow. The other night we had the youth event back there, and I got into the candy corn, and I could eat me a whole bag of candy corn. The problem is that bag of candy corn was for the games, and so Blair kind of got mad at me, but good thing she's not here to, to uh, let me have it. But anyways, so I tried to get RJ to eat a piece of candy corn. You would have thought I was giving him liver-coated spinach with mustard. I, I don't know. He wouldn't eat it. So to me, candy is good. To him, it's not. So our definition of good and bad is, is very relative in, in what, we, what we think it is and how it uh, applies to us. So if we can go to the next slide. So we'll, oh, I'm sorry, go back. Uh, it's right there. My bad. Sorry, Roger. Um, I want to look at a couple examples of good and bad, if you will, from the Bible. So if you can turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to be in verse 18 and 19, and then we'll jump to 23 and 26. Um, and in this section, the, most Bibles are broken down into little sections as, as kind of a, a subheading. And this is the girl restored to life and a woman healed. We're not going to cover the woman healed part, so let's just look at uh, starting in verse 18, Matthew chapter 9. While he was saying these things to them, as usual he's teaching, Behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And I want to stop there. Just the faith of that ruler, to me, is amazing. And I think it's a faith that sometimes we miss. I also think of the centurion who said, come heal my servant. And Jesus is like, okay, let's go. He's like, no, no, no. Just say the word. You don't have to come. You don't have to be there. Just say the word. And, and on a side note, rabbit trail, whatever you want to call it, if we can just try and focus our faith to be like that, when that we can trust, you know, it talks about the faith of a mustard seed. And if we look at that guy's faith as, you know, a big grapefruit or something, it's just the mustard seed. If we can just have that little faith, how much more can we accomplish in God's, God's creation with what he would have us to do? So just a side note. So then as, uh, as they're heading that way is when the woman comes in and then uh, she's healed of her illness. Then so we move to uh, verse 23. 
And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, which understand the flute players and the crowd making the commotion, that's the wailing group or the mourning group that comes in. So we know based on that, this girl is in fact dead. It's not a ploy. It's not, you know, Jesus trying to hype up the crowd or the disciples trying to hype up the crowd with some false miracle, if you will. The mourners and the wailers are there. They're, they're mourning over this girl's death. And so he tells them, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And so again, showing more proof that they know she's dead, they laugh at him. It's like, what is this quack doing? He's saying she's just sleeping and we know that, he, that she's dead. We know, we've seen, the dad knows, everybody knows that she's dead. So he sends them off and they go outside and he, he goes in, uh, back in verse 25, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. So we see this example of a girl that is dead, Christ goes and raises her. As we see it, is that a good or a bad thing? Good, right? Somebody has been raised from the dead. How excited would we be if a loved one was brought back? <clears throat> Excuse me. So, again, in our world, we see that as good, and, and I'm not disagreeing. And then we also look and we think of things in today's time. Um, maybe somebody we know gets healed, or somebody in our family is saved. You know, that person you've been praying for for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, whatever it is, and you just don't give up, and that person comes to know the Lord. These are things that when they happen, our reaction is, this is good. God, isn't it easy to say God is good when these things are happening? We're seeing positive or good things as we see them. They occur, and it's easy to say God is good. Let's move on to the next uh, set of verses in the next text. We go back to Genesis chapter 22. So in Genesis 22, we're just going to read verses 1 and 2 right now, and then we'll go back. And as um, Paul Harvey used to say, we'll see the rest of the story. For those of you my age and older, you'll get that one. Um, But anyway, so verse 1 and 2. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here am I. And God said to him, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. All right, so we've got our little definition of good and bad, if you will. Again, just on the face of this, is this good or bad? It's bad. God is asking Abraham to take his only son, and when he says only son, his legitimate son. And how long did Abraham wait for Isaac? hundred years his wife was 90 to the point she was laughing at the angels of God when they said you're going to have a child I mean it's to this point all these years of waiting praying of, of just waiting on God to have this child and now God basically looks at him and says go kill him because burnt offerings understand is not just taking and starting a fire and having some s'mores around the fire and saying God it's not a dedication service you know we bring our children up here as babies and we dedicate them to the Lord This is not a dedication service. This is kill your son and burn him on the altar for my sake. Your only son that you've been waiting for for a hundred years. That, to us, would be bad. It fits into the bad category. And then we move on back in today's time. You know, losing a loved one. 
Uh, you know, if Micah was here and he saw that picture, uh, he would have jumped and ran off the stage. To him, snakes are bad, right? Um, car crashes, what I deal with, you know, I, I'm part of my job is knocking on doors at weird hours in the morning and telling people they've lost a family member. There's nothing inherently good as far as our definition goes of doing that. It seems bad. Um, you know, I put cancer up there because I'm pretty sure there's nobody in this building that hasn't been affected by that. And I doubt any of us would say, I'm so glad so-and-so has cancer. That's such a good thing. But again, we're looking at our restricted definition of good. Um, so as we, get, as we move on, we'll see where that goes. You can tell who you sit under when you get up here and speak, because a lot of times you'll grab some phrases that you hear fairly often. And one that Micah uses and I use all the time in life groups is don't hear what I'm not saying. And as we go through this, what I'm not telling you is that if something tragic happens, that you're supposed to say God is good and move on like nothing happened. That, that's not how it works. There's still grief. There's still suffering. It's still going to be terrible. Um, but in the end, and if we focus on God in those tragedies, we'll see that he is good coming out the other side. But I'm not telling you that if things are going bad that you need to sit there and smile and say God is good and move on about your business. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I want to do want to look at is this, as we go through these examples, is this what our definition of God is? Is that how we define God? If things are good, he's good. If things are bad, eh, you know, you, you, basically how you say it. When things are good, God is good. And then when things are bad, well, God, yeah, he's, he's, he's good. Is that, how we, is that what we use to define him, our circumstances? Because what is good and bad usually influenced by with us? Our emotions. If we're feeling good, everything's good, God is good. If we're not feeling so good, then it's bad. And that's, that's our limited little heads trying to, to do as we feel. But as we're going to see, when we say God is good, it's a lot different than I think we've been doing uh, for a long time. So it, it, doesn't, it doesn't show up on that slide as well as I'd wanted to. When we say God is good... I think of it as God, little I-S, little lowercase I-S, is good. God is good. It's just something we say. But what we have to understand is God is good. That's it. That's the whole statement. What is good? God is good. There's nothing about him that's bad. There is no bad in God. God is the definition of good. Um, we look at one way that I kind of was able to help myself with this. If you look back at Genesis 1-3, it says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Everybody agree? You can go back and read it if you want to double-check me. What wasn't there when he said that? The sun, the planets. God is light. He was the light at that point. God is light. Just like this, God is good. If, if there was, I understand there's no pictures of God. If there was a Polaroid and you could take a picture of him without dying, because we all know if you're in the glory of God, you're going to perish. That's not permissible. But if somebody had caught that Polaroid of God and you went to the dictionary and it said, good, all you would need is the picture of God because that is good. It sounds like a big infinite loop. And I remember when I was in computer programming class, I was the worst about that. 
I would type a program and it would always say error, infinite loop, because I kept referencing the same thing. So I understand that it's kind of, it sounds like, you know, God is good, good is God kind of thing. But as we go through it, hopefully it'll make sense that God defines good. He is good in and of himself. If we weren't around, guess what? God is good. He doesn't need us to be good because he is good. So with us, goodness is an added quality, if that makes sense, in that we're born and we can either choose to be good or bad in the text of what the world thinks is good and bad. Obviously, we can't be good in the text of God because the Bible says none is good, no, not one. So we're not going to achieve this good that God is good, but we can choose if we want to be good people or bad people. And again, and that's in the relative terms of how the world sees us. With God, it's just natural that he is good. Again, he cannot be bad. So <clears throat> as we all struggle, and I do too, that we want to be able to define everything that we deal with. We want to have words and a way to describe it. So here's some words that, that I found as I was looking at morally excellent, extraordinarily beautiful, deeply glad, extravagantly bountiful. All can describe the goodness of God. But understand that's, that's not even, you know, when I talk about the pool example, maybe that's five or six pools worth of water compared to the water in the earth. We're not even close to describing God. Um, we just don't have that ability, but we can experience it. We may not be able to put it into words and describe it exactly as it is, but we are able to experience the goodness of God. So, um, again, I've already talked about this. When we decide what's good, it's usually based on our feelings, and that's not how goodness works when it comes to God. So, I want to go back to the examples that we looked at with now maybe a different perspective of goodness, what good is. So we look at the guy that was in the hut. So when he's on the island, that's probably bad. He feels bad. He's got his little hut. The only thing he has in the world starts burning down now that's really bad. But what do we see? What is the end result? He gets rescued because of the bad. And that's, that's, what, that's how it is with God. We may be in the turmoil, but his plan is perfect. And it involves good. God is good. His plan is good. And, you know, a lot of times when I think about what I deserve and what I should have in this world, I, I revert back to the disciples. And what was it? Ten of the eleven of the original ones were crucified or killed in some fashion or manner because of their faith. Do we think, does that sound good? In our definition, no, that's not good. But Imagine them now worshiping in the glory of God, and it was good. Their lives were good. Their sacrifices led to the salvation of how many people? We'll never know. So in the world's view, it was bad. But for the good of the order, if you will, in God's plan, it was good that they went through that. So we look at Abraham and Isaac back in Genesis 22. Again, we talked about it. God said, take your only son that you've been waiting for and go kill him. Is, is basically so if we move to verse 15 we've bypassed the part where he gets ready to um, kill him and the Lord says stop and this is the result and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said by myself I have sworn declares the Lord because you have done this and have not withheld your son your only son I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate, or yeah, and 
Yeah, let's see. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So we went from something to us that seems bad, sacrificing your son, to Abraham. You know, songs, Father Abraham, and just the, the way the world was populated through Abraham and the blessing that God gave him. And, you know, I, I, I'm not going to stand up here and, and say that I, I can put words into God's mouth, right? But I imagine that if God had allowed Abraham to go through with that sacrifice, that Abraham still would have been the, where the descendants came from. God would have provided something else because he is good. So even though that seemed, even if he let him go through that, the story may read a little different, but the same outcome would, you know, we'd still be here today. Um, talking about the goodness of God. So that's just me throwing in a little of my own thought. It's not written anywhere. And then we look at the girl raised from the dead. So again, in that image, <clears throat> that's a good thing to us. We see it as good as she was raised from the dead, but how many people were reached in the faith because they heard that story? Because they heard that, you know what? That is the Jesus with the power that we were told about. And they turn to the faith. And even, you know, the stories when it doesn't go right, just the, them telling about um, the things that they've seen, whether it's good or bad, those all lead to the faith growing. So what I like to try and do is take what we've talked about and maybe apply it practically, something we can either work on or something that will help us. So what is the goodness of God? How does that... How is he good to us, or what does that goodness bestow upon us, if that makes sense? And so I, I don't have the, the author of this. It didn't have a name um, of where it came from, but just so you know, I, I borrowed it from somebody, but I don't have who it is. So it looks at how God is good to the saved, to those that know him, to us that, that are, are children of God. And this first one, I could read it and stop there, and that's enough. By giving us eternal life the moment we believe. That in itself is God's goodness, and we could quit there. But as generally with God, it never stops with just the basics. He's so abundant to us. He gives us so much more than we need or deserve. Um, immediately when we're children of God, we have access directly to God through prayer. You know, I always think when I hear that of the, the temple with the, when the veil tore as, as Christ died, and I think the worst job to me in the world would be to be that high priest that they tied the rope around his waist. And you better be right, because if you went in the temple and you weren't right, they were dragging you back out. Now, let me sweep the floors. Let me, you know, clean up the altars or something. I don't want to be that guy with that responsibility to go in. And if I'm not right for the people of Israel, and you got to drag me out with the rope. Just saying. Also... Um, he is good to us because he answers our prayers. But yes, he does answer them, but it's not always what we want to hear. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. And the worst one for me, just being honest, hang on, wait. And, you know, if it's, if it's something that may turn out kind of bad, waiting is not. Or if, if you're in the, let me rephrase it. If you're in the bad spot, as we've talked about, the waiting is tough because it hurts. You're waiting for things to get better. You're waiting for somebody to be healed, whatever it is. When things are going good, 
okay, I can wait, God. I understand it's not too bad. But when you're down in the pit, that waiting, but he does answer our prayers. We just got to grow up and say, what am I willing to do? Am I willing to listen? Am I willing to wait? Um, and this is one, he gives ultimate purpose to the worst tragedies of life. Uh, Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good. And again, it's easy to believe when the sun is shining, but when you're in human tragedy, it, it doesn't seem to make sense. Um, because for us, like we talked about, good usually means happiness, health, prosperity, and good fortune. But remember, we're looking at our lives through the little straw and God, as they say, the 30,000-foot view, he sees everything that's going on. And so while it may seem like it's best for us at the time, we're missing the big picture in essence. Uh, another thing that, and, and again, sometimes these things when God is good, you hear by disciplining us when we stray into sin. Is that really good? Well, absolutely it's good. Because if God doesn't reach out and rein us back in, what are we going to do? We're going to turn into that big snowball that keeps growing and growing, and we're going to crash and burn down at the bottom of the hill that chastisement if you're willing to listen to it we can all power through the discipline of god and ignore it and still be in the same place but if we're open and willing to listen to it um, it'll rein us back in he unites us in christ with christ's resurrection uh, corinthians five seventeen. if anyone is in christ he's a new creation the old is gone and the new has come um and he gives us whatever we need so that we can be content. Notice the word need, not what we want. Many times our needs in our head are not really needs. They're just really, really big wants. So when you're told no, I think maybe that could be the issue. Um, and then one that I really like is giving us reasons to rejoice when the world turns against us. If we go out there and act like the world, are they going to turn against us? Now, they're going to be our buddy. They're going to welcome us right in. Hey, you fit right in. But if the world is against us, that means Christ is shining through us. And they're not really against us. They're against Christ. The world doesn't want to hear about that. You know, you can, it's, it's, a, it's amazing to me. You can even go out and talk about God because then you've got all the little G's. And, and it's okay to talk about God. But when you say Jesus, that's when people usually shut you down. They don't want to hear about it. So we can rejoice even though the world's against us because, quite frankly, I believe when the world's against us, we're doing the right thing. We're out in the trenches where we need to be, and we're stirring up some stuff uh, for the sake of God. All right, so um, I got up there. It says God's blank is good. So we'll look real quick at um, what I'm talking about here. So is his mercy good? It's easy to say that one, isn't it? Absolutely. His love Again, I'm throwing you some softballs. We'll start out with the softballs. His holiness, absolutely. God is holy. It, his justice, uh-oh. Yes, it is, but, you know, that's, that's when he starts pulling out the paddle. You know, time to go pick your switch and let God, you know, his justice is good. His wrath, is that good? Absolutely. And so when we hear ourselves and people say, well, if God is good, what about all this? I can't answer all those questions for you. I know there's sin in the world, and I know a lot of bad things come from sin. And I'm not saying if you're sinning, bad things are going to happen to you. I know that's the case. But God is good, and his wrath is good. It's, just, it's all good, regardless of how we see it. Everything he does is good. There's nothing but goodness in his being. 
And here's, I'm going to wrap up, and, and I want to say this not delicately, um, but I don't want to come up here and act like I'm throwing things at you because, as you'll see, part of this uh, it really hit me. Um, three things that we can do to respond to the goodness of God. We can repent of our unbelief and our ingratitude. Do we not believe God is good? And again, this is probably mainly going to start happening when things are really bad in your circumstances, that you're going to start doubting if God is good. Are you going to be ungrateful when uh, you hear about God's goodness? And I'll tell you, the thing that gets me is when non-believers prosper. That's one thing I struggle with. You see somebody that doesn't have a care for the world when it comes to God or serving, and you see them prosper. And that's when, in error, I get to the point, well, God, I'm here doing this, this, and this, but I'm not pro- that's not the point. God is good. You know, what do I have over that person that's not saved? Eternal life. We talked about all those things that God gives to the saved. And so I need to take my ingratitude and put it in check and thank God for what he has done and what he does do for me each and every day. We can rest in his goodness when adversity comes in those bad times. And again, I'm not saying that something bad happens and you say God is good, yay, and you move on. There's going to be grief. There's going to be time where you, you wrestle with that. But ultimately, we can rest in that goodness knowing that his plan is occurring and he is good. And then finally, and this is the one I, I, I don't know everybody's circumstances. I, I do not have any people in mind. If, if you feel like I'm talking to you, it's not on purpose. If you truly believe in the goodness of God, that God is good, and all you do is come once or twice a week and consume or just to be fed, I ask you, do you really believe God is good? And for me, it's not that part, but if I believe that God is as good as I say he is, does my ministry stop when I walk out those doors? Or am I trying to minister as I go away from this building? If God is good, I should be telling everybody about it. And I didn't do this in the first service, but again, I was listening to the radio, and the guy on the radio said in Romans chapter 2, in verse 4, um, it starts with, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Not God's judgment, his wrath, but his kindness is designed to lead us to him. So we have a God that's good. We've talked about that, and hopefully we're in agreement that God is good. And his kindness is going to lead people to Christ. Why are we not out there telling more people about it? If we believe in God's goodness, I think we should be doing more. And I will just, um, I will leave it at that. And I think, I just saw Kyle step out. Um, So when he gets back, we'll have the final song. And uh, also, I'm going to put Mr. Stokes on the spot. Um. When Kyle is done, before we're dismissed, I want to have everybody come up. And if you want to come up, you can, or you can stay in your seats. But Larry's going to come up and pray over the shoeboxes as we send them out to the, the, the needy kids of the world and give them hope. And like Frank said uh, in the first service, or Brother Steve, I'm sorry, when, when they open it, if there is a Bible in there, will that grab their heart and change their heart and lead them to salvation? All right. Ready?
Yep. All right, so I'll go ahead and pray, and then we'll have the final song. Lord God, again, uh, with what little words I can, Lord, I, I thank you. I thank you for your blessings, for your goodness, Lord, for your holiness. Uh, may each one of us in here strive to learn more about your attributes, that we may better serve you. God, may, may our hearts uh, be focused on telling others about your goodness. God, may we just be unable to keep our mouths shut as we leave this building. Lord, I do thank you for corporate worship and fellowship that we can come together and learn more about you. And again, I just thank you for all your many blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us?